0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from, from Mastery, and I'm excited to have Ashley Aydin, who's a principal at Vamos Ventures. Uh, Ashley started her career at Morgan Stanley and Capital Markets and moved into strategic roles at shop, uh, ShopTakes.com, Fifth Avenue and Estee Lauder focused on the intersection of the consumer and technology. She's previously invested at Brand Foundry uh, Ventures, Foundry Factory, and Do Room Fund across commerce, health and wellness, and financial technology. Asha holds a uh, bachelor's from Brown University and MBA from uh, MIT Sloan. Welcome to the show, Ashley.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here today.
0: Awesome. So uh, you, you know you you have an interesting journey. You uh, you Puerto Rican, Raken. You you. You you were born and raised uh in Staten Island, interesting childhood. Uh, how did you get in, in, into this world of startups, and what was your you know childhood journey all about?
1: Yeah, um, you know I, I came home every day from school uh, with my father having the big idea with Donny Deutsch on it on CNBC, and that show was uh, talking about or had a guest rather talking about their path to the American Dream and starting these amazing businesses, and that was sort of my first in as to Wow, this is a really cool journey, the entrepreneurial journey and building that American dream. Um, But it wasn't so much when, uh, until I went to undergrad at Brown University, that I started knowing or learning more about the mechanics of business, what it takes to be a founder, what it takes to build something that's sort of tech enabled with a lot of my extracurricular involvements at at Brown. I sort of led the Brown entrepreneurship program. I founded a few organizations on campus that focus on entrepreneurship and, you know, getting more women actually into the startup space. Um, And so I started inviting, you know, for example, the founder of Warby Parker, one of the founders of Warby Parker to campus to talk about, well, how did you create this cool sunglasses company and what sort of inspired you and how did you scale it to be this behemoth of a company and what made you successful? Um, And so that storytelling and just being young and being able to look up to these types of stories, I think really piqued my interest of saying, well, I could be like that person one day. And so, you know, after Brown University, um, I I did want to sort of have a baseline foundation of, um, you know, what the mechanics and and especially as it relates to finances behind companies. And so I went to join Capital Markets at Morgan Stanley, where I covered a lot of the consumer equities public companies. And that's where I got another in into storytelling of, you know, what drove the markets? uh, What did management teams care about? uh, You know, what um, made uh, a certain stock better than the other, right? Uh, Right. And then after that, uh, I, I sort of was thinking a lot about, well, I don't really have that true startup and early stage experience. I have like, you know, the good finance foundation now after Morgan Stanley, but let me go to a startup and figure out what actually goes on. And so um, I cold emailed uh, Olga Vitevichavo, who's the CEO founder of Shop Teeks, and said, "Hey, like I don't know if you have a role open, but if you you know want to have me on board as you know being some sort of strategy person, <laughs> I'm happy to to come join a, an early stage company." And so they were really impressed with my background, and I did everything there from like literally calling. Uh, you know, potential customers, cold calling customers on the phone, to thinking about fundraising strategy and the like. And ShopTix.com, for those of you that don't know, is an e-commerce company basically building digital storefronts for boutiques. So you know, to compete with the likes of Amazon, et cetera. Um, and then after about a year there, I said to myself, you know, I want to now learn how to be sort of an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, get more exposure as to where consumer meets technology. And that's when I joined sort of Saks with Avenue and Essay Lauder working a lot on their digital and technology initiatives, so things like 3D shopping, buy line, pick up in store, um, you know, virtual try on, all these cool technologies that were applied to the shopping experience. And so, you know, the entirety of, of my experience has always been the theme of consumer: what makes them click? What makes them sticky? What experiences can you bring to them? Right? What technologies can you bring to them that makes that experience um, or, or brand rather, you know, um, exciting to them? And uh, so that's sort of that. What was my path into the sort of startup venture world. Um, uh, it's only until I got to sort of business school that I was like, oh, well, what's the marriage between a lot of my experiences? And I saw that venture was a really, really interesting path. Uh, and so I started working at a few different funds, as you mentioned. But by the end of my business school experience, because I'm Puerto Rican, Turkish, a first-gen college student, very much Wanted to do something more impactful, uh, leveraging my background. And that's when I met Marcos Gonzalez of Vamos Ventures, who's the founder and managing partner. Uh, and he was one of the first who fo- started focusing on Latinx and diverse entrepreneurs in the space. And I said, This is really exciting. Like, you know, I want to invest in founders that have a similar background to me um, because the stats are crazy. We can talk about them still. It's almost 2023, and right, there's not much funding going to these types of entrepreneurs. And so I wanted to. Um, be impactful in the way that I invest and you know leverage my startup experience to help the entrepreneurs of the future, especially in a growing demographic like the Latino population in the United States.
0: Got it. Interesting. And uh, you know, you know, couple couple of interesting things you pointed out uh, that you started working in startups and then you got into venture venture fund. And you know, I've got uh, I've got some guests who've been operators and entrepreneurs, and then got into the VC world. Do you think uh, experience in startups is crucial? Uh, to become a good investor, or, or you know, you you have somebody like Bill Gurley who's not had any experience in in starters, but he's considered one of the greatest. What uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I wish I had Bill Gurley's track record. <laughs> but to answer your question, uh, I absolutely think that operational and operating experience is key as an investor. I mean, to your point. There are journalists who've become really great investors because of that more investigative, right, approach, and you ask really good questions. So I think every type of background actually brings something unique to the venture experience. But especially on the operating side, because you almost know the language and can speak the language of building early-stage companies, everything from uh, you know a really clever go-to-market strategy to all that weird, messy, like admin stuff of how to set up a company in the first place, right? And so if you have this experience, if you're early on in a company, when you get to the other side, which is the investing side, you can very much do a lot of hand-holding or at least provide very valuable feedback as to how you did things, you know, as, as an investor. And this, again, especially applies to early-stage investing.
0: Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned about, uh, in is it about investing into, into uh, the Latinx founders or is it you know just want to understand more about Vamos Ventures are you uh, focusing only on investing on a certain side of a sort of demographic or is it you know uh, looking into investing are you uh, are you state or sector agnostic and you're looking into investing into any kind of founder
1: absolutely um, so in terms of the Vamos Ventures mission we were founded on basic values that combine potential for value creation and positive change so I'll just tell you a few of our beliefs as an example. Um, We believe that the most successful products make life more productive, secure, and empowering. Uh, We believe that the possibility of innovation can come from anyone and anywhere. And we believe now is the tipping point for tech entrepreneurial expression by diverse founders. And so, you know, we, we're an impact fund, but we're not an impact fund that sacrifices returns. We're an impact fund that says, you know, we want market rate returns and more. And while we're doing that, we could still create social impact through wealth creation, through social mobility, through community empowerment, and through racial equity. And so Vamos Ventures is an early stage fund. Right. Um, we're in our first uh, fund fund one that's 50 million dollars. Our checks on average range between 500k to 2 million. I would say you know the sweet spots between 750k and a million bucks. And then we do focus on specific areas. Um, health and wellness, Fintech, Future of work and sustainability. Um, you know, just very quickly, and on the health and wellness side, which is mostly what I cover, as well as fintech. Um, on the health and wellness side, we're thinking about more ac- equitable access, more affordability, and access as it relates to healthcare. On the fintech side, it's more of an empowerment theme. How can we empower? Individuals uh, and small, medium-sized businesses to go and you know um, conduct payments or conduct you know their fintech type of um, operations. Uh, on the future of work side, it's very much about upskilling and going back to sort of the gig economy and empowering them. And then on sustainability, of course, just a clean and better world. A cleaner supply chain, you know, clean tech. These are all the different types of things that we're looking at. Um, so we are specific in, in sort of our, our focus areas, and you know, we do appreciate that we are investing in diverse founding teams. Diversity means a bunch of different things to us. We have a big bet on the Latinx entrepreneur, but you know, woman, um, black, uh, pretty much any overlooked and underserved founder. Uh, founding population and end population too, because we very much uh, invest in businesses that you know might not have a traditionally diverse founding team, but that they focus on serving you know overlooked and underserved populations.
0: Do I have an interesting stat for you to you denote know that the founder of Beautiful Lives? Increase the social media presence by 10x. They manage to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use Lysellmastery.com/slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Got interesting. And uh you know, a uh, couple couple of months back, I realized when Serena William mentioned that, you know, only two percent of the venture capital gets into 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 female founders. Why, why do you think that happens? And you know what is FAMO's Ventures doing in order to ensure that you know the, you shorten the gap when it comes to funding for female founders?
1: Yeah, it's a really important and great question. And you know there are many different ways to sort of. Go about this and in, in answering. But what I would say is my strongest viewpoint is that we need to put more women in capital allocator seats. You know, the, the numbers are insane. I mean, 2% or so of venture capital goes to female founders, 11% of venture capitalists are women. And I think about 70% plus of venture capital firms have no female partners, right? And so hmm. who's making these? decisions, right? Um, You know, I think naturally, if you're a woman, you'll probably have more access to different types of entrepreneurs, maybe folks that relate to you, or maybe folks that come from your network or whatnot. And traditionally, like, you know, women investors, you have more access to women entrepreneurs. And so I think that you need more of us In capital allocator seats. I mean, it's just proven gender-inclusive founding teams perform better. Startups with one female founder hire up to, I think, three times more women, right? And women venture capitalists invest in up to two times more female founders. And so I think naturally, if you have us in more key decision-making roles, especially on the investing side, you'll naturally get more deal flow and more women um, with dollars behind them. And something I do want to mention is that um, you know, in terms of women entrepreneurs, I mean, women often start companies specifically to solve problems they face in their everyday lives. Mm. And, you know, I don't think anyone's going to argue that um, women are key decision makers in life. They take care of the family. They t- take care a lot of, it, you know, a lot of the households. And so, um, you know, who better to invest in than those you know, individuals who are making those decisions. So, um, you know, that's sort of my quick take as to how to invest in more female founders and some of the stats and inequities around women in this space. Um, But, you know, I think that it's also give people a shot. You know, we often say that at Vamos Ventures and investing in diverse founding teams, how will we ever know? um, And how will we ever be on these journeys if we don't give people a shot by investing in them?
0: That's interesting. And uh, I I was just wondering, is it uh, also important to have, uh, you know the right sort of LPs when you're looking to, for for an aspiring venture capital uh, that was looking to in, uh, to to raise funding. Uh, you know what what is what has been your learnings when you're looking at you know raising funds from the right sort of LPs so that uh, you could look at building like a ten year uh, ten year uh, fund uh, and yeah. also you know uh, what is what has been your experience to you know get those women investors uh, in the in their uh, in your LPs.
1: Yeah. It's a wonderful question as well, because I think there are a lot of emerging funds and only the momentum to invest in these diverse emerging man- managers has happened in the last, what, two, three years. Right. Um, and so I think there's been sort of a shift in the LP landscape Up, it could be very well that more diverse folks are becoming LPs and they're therefore they see the importance of investing in diverse emerging managers. It could be that you know, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, people were like, finally, oh, it happened way too late, but finally, we need to do something here, right? And investing in these types of founders and, and managers who might bring a different perspective in this space and who do. And so, um, you know, Vamos Ventures is lucky, very, very lucky to have LPs that are aligned to our mission, meaning that they see opportunity in sort of this next wave a next generation of diverse um, founders. And who else to better to invest in them or best to invest in them than you know, folks who maybe can speak the language, who've been on that other side, who know the who have the cultural competency to invest in these types of founders, right? And so you know when I, when I mentioned sort of give people a shot, I think there's been sort of a shift um, and hopefully it's not temporary, but a shift in LPs giving new and emerging funds a shot. Of course, you still have sort of the archaic way of thinking in the LP world of like these big endowments, right? They wanna make sure that they generate X amount of returns. And so investing in the same old funds over and over again um, you know, typically, like, I don't know if it guarantees that, but at least they know what they're investing in and they sort of have a track record. Right. And so, um, you know, we appreciate that a lot of uh, folks who are on Bamos Ventures' own cap table, if you will, gave us a shot. And now we're sort of proving ourselves with our first fund. And we're actually going out to raise our second fund um, in the middle of next year. So I think, you know, hopefully a lot of those LPs will see all the amazing work that we're doing um, and, and re-up.
0: Got it. and um, i wanted to understand. You know what? What are the uh, some of the biggest mistakes investors make when they're analyzing competition? Uh, especially, you know, when they're assessing the the startup. Uh, are there any mistakes which they make when they when they're looking at the deal and analyzing the competition?
1: Yeah, you know, I forget what big investor said this, but it's always stuck to me. And that's like VCs are notoriously bad at market sizing. And so, you know, if you would have looked at an Uber, for example, in the very early days, who would have thought that someone would get into a random person's car and, and take a ride, right? And so, um, I think a lot of the mistakes that VCs uh, make are around um, market and are around, you know, not envisioning a future that. Doesn't exist yet, but but can exist because of these crazy ideas. I mean, listen, we're in the business of investing in crazy ideas, right? But I think just given the market uh, and maybe some of the happenings of some of these larger companies, I think there's sort of been um, a reversion back to all right. Well, this is safe. I think that we still need to be taking these big bets. We still need to be thinking about a wacky world that exists because of these crazy innovations and investing in um, you know maybe not more non traditional founders that you know maybe you're not familiar with. Um, his or her background, but they just have sort of that spark, that um, you know, that intuition that you feel comfortable with that. You know no matter what direction this company goes in, this is a person I want to invest in. And so, um I think you know, just you know, being maybe a little more comfortable, and um, a a little more loose on sort of the market sizing and competition. There's always going to be competition no matter what you build. And so just seeing and sort of having more faith in the founding team, uh, you know, I think uh, serves us well.
0: Got it. And and on the other side, you know, what what are some of the mistakes founders make when they are presenting, you know, the competitive landscape to the investors?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, I, I think it's... I think it's naming like every single competitor <laughs> that could be out there. Um, you know, of course, we want we want to know that you're knowledgeable about the competitive landscape and the drivers and the trends and the sizes and whatnot, but you don't have to sort of stick to that, right? I think, you know, briefly touching upon uh, some of the concerns, some of the competitors in the market, but then mostly focusing that question or that answer rather on competition on this is our value prop, and this is how we're doing things differently. is is the most important thing, and then of course, um, you know, I think founders, a lot of founders, especially the early stage founders, maybe their first time founders are, are um, you know uh, similar. They want to do a deck that's very pretty, that um, you know is visually appealing, but. What matters most at the earliest stages is that storytelling component. And that is the most important part of the founding journey. I mean, you have to tell a story all the time to customers to use your product, to employees to work for you, uh, to investors to give you capital, right? And so my advice is practice your storytelling skills by telling stories to friends and family. You know, Write down your story in, in a journal or blog post and then rewrite it in different ways to see... Which angle you prefer, and then ask questions when you go about your storytelling. Like, what is your goal? Are you captivating? Like, who are you trying to reach, and how are you different? I think the best stories are about people and their journeys through life. So, you know, use yourself as a case study as you build this company. Um, and you know, I feel like some founders don't really focus on that storytelling component, and that's really what captivates the investor and very much says, or at least projects, like this person's very serious because he or she has lived and/or work experience. Experience in this space. And that pain point was so hard for this person that now they're building a company around it.
0: Mm, got it. very interesting. And uh, and what advice would you give to founders when they're looking to raise uh, money, especially during uh, these times when everyone is saying that they are investing, but very few really are investing?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I I would be very selective um, no matter what type of market you're in as to who you put on your cap table. I mean, this is a relationship that's going to last a long, long time, right? And you don't want an investor that. Uh, maybe you're just iffy about it and just want to take capital, right? You want to make sure that you have an aligned investor from a values, from a mission standpoint. And you want to make sure that the way that you sort of construct your cap table, um, you know, gives you value add. And maybe you're missing a skill set as to go to market, right? Maybe you want a partner who's very good at branding and marketing. And so make that cap table, make your partners very comprehensive, very well-rounded. And going back to my point of selecting your partners very carefully You know, you want to ask Mises all the tough questions too you know, don't let them ask you all the tough questions. You very much can ask them, well, how have you helped your portfolio companies? How are you navigating this market downturn? You know, um, can you give me a few founders that I could just do reference calls with that I could really ask them about sort of your work and how you approach, um, you know, a meeting with them, right? Or giving them feedback and advice. So um, I would be very selective and I would ask the tough questions to VCs as well.
0: Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit MailmanHQ.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit MailmanHQ.com and use the code LSM got it and uh you know what What advice you give to founders uh, on doing layoffs uh, it's something you know which uh they don't want to do but if you know uh there's a cash crunch and they need to do those layoffs uh how should they do the layoffs and you know should do you advise them to do it right away or you know slowly do it <laughs>
1: Uh, you know, it, it, it's such a, there are several considerations here. I mean, listen, right. the market the market, I think every everyone knows that it's high inflationary environment. There's lots of market volatility, there's geopolitical instability, there's instability all around. And right. I think everyone's sort of on the edge of their seats as to their current opportunities and what the future is going to look like. You know, I often um, advise founders when they have to Cut costs, right? To to survive, you know, do it quickly, especially as it relates to team. I mean, and be empathetic and be respectful, right? It's all about sort of delivery, um, less so about timing. It's all about delivery and making sure that if you do have to deliver that bad news, you do it in a way that's comfortable, uh, that's kind, uh, and that, you know, you're not just leaving them out there. It's more of like, listen, um, you know, it's unfortunate times. We need to do this. However, we want to support you in looking for your next opportunity, or connecting you to folks who are hiring, or you know, whatever resources that you can provide them. But I would say, you know, do it as you need to um, to grow and and survive. Um, it's unfortunate, but I think it's all about sort of messaging.
0: Got it. And and what what are your thoughts about scenario planning, especially when it comes to you know seed stage and pre stage um, uh, companies? Uh, And if they have raised, you know, for the next six to 12 months, but, you know, what should be, you know, a couple of scenario plans, uh, which, you know, founders should be creating during these times?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, very, the worst base and and best case. And what that means is, you know, in the worst case, it's the market just doing a complete downturn, the base case is sort of going as it is. And the best case is that we sort of have a turnaround in 1Q, 2Q, as some people think that we may have, of you know, things are going to become better um, and we're going to get into sort of a better fundraising environment. So I would sort of scenario plan for those three things. Of course, and this is how I've always been, and not many investors are like this, or I should say like probably 12 months ago, not many investors were like this, of being more conservative with your projections and your numbers. You, know, um, you may grow exponentially during this time. There may be a lot of opportunity for your company. But you know, be also realistic in that you want to show investors that you're conserving cash, that you're you know, spending funds appropriately, that you are scenario planning for even the worst conditions and that you are thinking about sort of markdowns and you know, what if I don't fundraise in six to 12 months? Have sort of a plan B, C, and D. Um, this way you can come prepared to those tough conversations.
0: Got Interesting. And um, uh, I want, wanted to understand, do you think the, the current model for, for venture can be disrupted? Uh, we have had you know, equity crowdfunding, and then uh, you know, uh, you're looking at, uh, uh, especially when it comes to blockchain companies trying to trying to uh, you know raise funding. But do you think uh, venture capital can be uh, you know disrupted in the next coming years?
1: Absolutely. I mean, listen to your point. There's different investment vehicles now. I think people have different ideas as to. The venture capital space and what it can become. I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation in the venture capital space. And I do think that the winners are going to be um, those funds and investors focused on a specialty, right? I mean, with Lamos Ventures, for example, we're very much going all in on Latinx and diverse entrepreneurs. And we do see an opportunity there. And the demographics and, and the growth just show that you know, these folks are going to be a big percentage of the population in five to 10 years and and growing, right? And so we want to double down on that. We want to specialize in that. And we want to sort of be a voice and thought leader in that space. Um, And so when I think about the venture capital space, I think of the winners as doing that versus sort of, I guess, the more traditional venture capital of generalists and, you know, investing in just really awesome, um, you know, tech companies. That's all fine and mighty. But again, add that specialty twist to it.
0: Got it. and and who do you think would be like you mentioned about winners? But you, who do you think would be the winners? Would it be, uh, you know, uh, uh VC firms like uh, the Sequas and and the benchmarks who've given great returns, or it could also be very niche uh, sort of VCs who are focusing on you know, uh, of momentum investing or a you know, specific sort of niche.
1: Yeah, I think the niche investors, you know, are are really interesting. I think they will be winners. Again, talking back, uh, talking to that specialty, I mean, they're going to know these markets, whether you're, you know, you go all in on sort of digital health or like aging in place and you're an aging fund or elder care fund, right? You're going to be able to build these connections, this deep functional expertise and this network that I think is going to drive uh, you know your portfolio companies, and it's also very awesome from a awareness and visibility standpoint. Because if you're, let's say, an aging fund, uh, right. and you have all these amazing aging companies come into play, you know, in the next five to ten years. If you're known for that, right, you're gonna get the best deal flow. And so um I do think, listen, the Sequoia's and Bessemers, they're gonna be fine, but I do think the outperformers will be more of the niche special specialty funds, even you know, some of the emerging funds that are focused more on this, uh, this more specialty and um, you know, diversity focused.
0: Got it. and you know, I, I wanted to talk about uh the the boards. Uh do you think uh you know having a board is valuable for a for an early stage uh Founder and you know what can be done to improve boards.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. Diversity on boards is extremely important. I think a founder should always be thinking about that, not only in diversity of skill set, but background, right, and and stories. Uh, I think that's when you get sort of some interesting comments and some really sharp perspective, because again, everyone has different lived and work experiences. And absolutely, I think a board's important for uh, early stage companies. I think you know whether you're two times founder, three times founder, first time founder you always need additional perspective, right? I would say less so, you don't need people like meddling in your affairs and telling you how to, control the company and that goes back to my point of being selective about not only who you have as investors but even who you have as on your board and who you have as mentors and advisors um, but i do think having sort of a, an extra set of eyes especially folks who have been there before and who have built and scaled these type of companies or who have just again deep functional expertise in a certain space is always valuable um, you know I, I often say that when you're building a company uh, you know hopefully you have sort of a a ring of champions um or you know a trusted source of of guidance and almost like a a panel. Um, or you're gonna ask all your tough questions too. And of course you need to be like, you know, you, you can't say everything that's on your mind or be your truest self, maybe in some of these board meetings, but um, you know, you should be able to trust them so much that you value and respect their opinions, um, even though a lot of that feedback could be tough sometimes.
0: Got it. Awesome, and, and I quickly wanted to do the top three. What's a favorite business book? Uh,
1: my favorite business book is uh, Alpha Girls. It's a story about the earliest venture capital woman in Silicon Valley. The uh, you know um, uh, a lot of the stuff that they faced in trying to be successful venture capitalists, and that you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel because they sort of paved the way for many others behind them.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard about Alpha Girls. I'm going to look it up and, and read it or put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you when you joined Vamo's Ventures, what are the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently?
1: I think it's more of um, you know being comfortable with my voice. And this might have been sort of a theme in in my entire career of like, you know now i'm I'm starting to think and get of the mindset of like the perspective that I have, again, based on my lived and work experience is really valuable. And I could sit down with founders and share those different perspectives, um, and it's helpful to them. And so um, the, yeah, the bottom line there is just being comfortable with who you are, you know, being proud of the unique perspective. That you bring um, in any, you know, uh, in any world, in any context, in any conversation, um, and being proud of of who you are, and you know, voicing that opinion, you would be surprised that you know, if you think that you don't have anything fun or crazy or whatever to say on Twitter, there are going to be people who who think that is you know something different, and so um, be fearless in expressing that opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I love that answer. I think it, it sounds it's it's a great advice for everyone, right? Um, and do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom?
1: Uh, I do. I love... I'm, I'm a, this is my Virgo, like, OCD self. I love Calendly and leveraging that and integrating that into my entire life. And so thank you, Calendly, for making my life uh, very easy from a scheduling standpoint. I can't live without it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I can't function without Calendly. able will put out in the show notes. Um, I say, what are the best ways people can reach out to you and know more about Vamma's Ventures?
1: Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to stay in touch with everyone. Um, you can just email me at Ramosventures.com. I'm always down for a chat. LinkedIn, just find me, Ashley Iden, And then on Twitter, um, same thing, Ashley Iden. Um, But please keep in touch. I'm always willing to chat and provide feedback.
0: Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you.
1: Thank you. Same here.
0: Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.